0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Hebrews chapter 7, we read together from verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means King of Righteousness. Then also, King of Salem means King of Peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, For on the basis of it the law was given to the people Why was there still need for another priest to come One in the order of Melchizedek Not in the order of Aaron For when there is a change of the priesthood There must also be a change of the law He of whom these things are said Belonged to a different tribe And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant Now there have been many of those priests Since death prevented them from continuing in office But because Jesus lives forever He has a permanent priesthood Therefore he is able to save completely Those who come to God through him Because he always lives to intercede for them Such a high priest meets our need one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, for his own, for, for, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: As we stand, let's pray together. And we do pray, Lord, make us humble tonight in listening. Make us humble in understanding. Make us humble in believing. And we ask it in the name of the precious Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, please do sit down. As you sit down, if you could uh, be turning back in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter seven. That's page one thousand two hundred and five in the in the church Bibles. Um, Also, within uh, the pieces of paper you were given on the way in, there's a there's a handout that you might um, like to refer to uh, to uh, see how far we've got. Let me start tonight uh, with the beginning of, the beginning of at least, an old and a very terrible joke uh, from the 1970s, I think, um, when many things were old and terrible, and it begins like this. Uh, you're lost in the Sahara Desert, and the one thing you desperately want to know is where you can find water, uh, and to your joy over the sand... Uh, a man appears on a camel. Can you give me some water? You cry out. No, sir, he says. I'm sorry, no water. But would you like to buy a tie? So he opens his coat and shows you a, a range of ties. Angrily, you walk away. A little later, another man appears on a camel. Surely this time you'll find some water or be pointed in the direction of some water but the answer is absolutely the same no sir very sorry I'm very sorry no water but perhaps sir would like to buy a tie now I find myself this evening uh, somewhat like that man on a camel Uh, I'm not saying to you would you like to buy a tie and I rather suspect you wouldn't like any of these ones anyway and you can probably point out the one that was given me for Christmas in fact, I'm saying something even more bizarre than that, even more out of place than that. I'm offering you something really, really strange. I'm saying, would you like to know? Would you like to know this? Would you like to know about Jesus as great high priest in the order of Melchizedek? And uh, while well, there may be one or two of us here tonight saying, oh, yes, please. Um, I suspect uh, more likely you're thinking, why on earth would I want to know about that? I don't have time for anything like that. And as that passage was being read to us just a little while ago, you may well have been thinking, what am I doing here? But if you've been coming along on Sunday evenings this term, then you'll know that the writer of Hebrews really does think that you should want to know about this. It is of vital importance that you know about Jesus as the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, In fact, if you've got Hebrews open in front of you, and I've also put this on the the handout, you can see that this is the main point he wants to make uh, right here in the the middle of his word of exhortation, right in the middle of the the book. This is uh, chapter 8, verse 1. It's just over the page if you're uh, in chapter 7. Very nice, isn't it? When the Bible writers tell us what the main point is. Well, here's a great example of that. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest. We do have a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what is a priest? A a, a priest, I guess, is an intermediary. It's an intermediary between God and his people. Able to bring the blessing of God to people who don't deserve it able to allow them to draw near to him. We'll see a little later that Melchizedek was a character from the Old Testament book of Genesis who acted as an intermediary between God and the patriarch Abraham, between God and his people. And the writer is saying in Jesus, we have in Jesus a priest like him in many ways, but even greater Why, then, is it so important to know this? Well, that was, uh, I think, back in chapter 4. I put this on the handout as well. This is one of the big exhortations towards the beginning of the book of Hebrews. And it went like this. Therefore, said the writer, since we have such a great high priest, who is gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. That's why this is all so important. Just think about it for a moment. If we didn't have such a high priest, then we would be less able to hold firmly to the face we profess. But since we do have such a high priest, then let us hold firmly to him. Over the recent weeks, we've also begun to see just how deadly serious this all is. The writer was, in fact, just about to tell us about Jesus and Melchizedek uh, back in chapter five. Uh, But he broke off. He seemed apparently unconvinced that we were paying attention. And he rebuked us. And he warned us, warned us seriously for not wanting to press on and grow in maturity. So that when he resumes his argument about Jesus and Melchizedek at the end of chapter six, we know that he thinks this is really, really important for us to know. So as we begin chapter seven, and chapter seven is it a complicated chapter, nonetheless, we do know basically what the writer of Hebrews wants from us. He wants us, of course, to hold firmly to Jesus. But he is also convinced that, that means recognizing Jesus as a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. A kind of super priest, if you like. The ultimate intermediary between God and his people. A permanent, final intermediary, a priest forever. Someone who is on our side forever. Someone who is for us forever. Now, of course we have to bear in mind that this is a book, this is a, a word of exhortation originally written uh, for people from a from a Jewish background. That is, we're talking about people here who when they were think When they were thinking that they didn't need Jesus, they would find themselves drifting back into their old ways of doing things. Uh, perhaps drifting back, thinking it's safe to go back to the former ways that they were used to of approaching God. And you may well know that uh, those old ways, those former ways, were, were based around priests, intermediaries in the order of Levi, descended from the man Levi. Hence the term Levitical priests that we see in this chapter. Those were the the former intermediaries between God and his people. And they were, to some limited extent, able to bring the mercy and blessing of God to his people through their priestly activity. So we shouldn't be surprised to see the argument here revolving around these Levitical priests. That is indeed how the argument goes. I think we're going to see that it goes in three parts. In three parts. First, says the writer, to his people. So you're a good Jewish person. You, you respect Abraham. That is good. Well, watch Abraham as he pays tribute to a greater priest than those former priests. Second, he says, so you're a good Jewish person respecting King David. Of course, that is good. Well, listen to David as he looks forward, looks forward to a greater priest than those former priests priests. And third he says, so you're a good Jewish person respecting the word of God in the scriptures. That is good. So then listen to God as he promises on oath a greater priest than those former priests. Now those of us who uh, do not have a Jewish background, I suspect that's most of us here tonight, may not be Quite tempted in the same way to let go of Jesus in favor of that old way of doing things through the Levitical priesthood. Uh, but we're most certainly tempted to let go of Jesus in, in all sorts of other ways. We might say all sorts of other lesser ways of approaching God or dealing with our deepest needs. So I think we'll find that if we're prepared to, to, to go to the effort tonight, of uh, putting ourselves in the sandals, so to speak, of those those first readers to do that for half an hour tonight. And I'm confident that this will help us likewise to hold firmly to Jesus. And we're going to begin with uh, verses 1 to 10 of chapter 7. Holding firmly to Jesus as the great high priest anticipated by Abraham. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a greater high priest greater than the old ways of approaching God, greater than any other way of approaching God. And you can see that the argument here is based around an encounter, this is uh, many thousands of years ago, between Abraham and a slightly shadowy figure called Melchizedek. It's a a story you can read about for yourself in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, But most of the story is actually retold for us here in verses 1 to 2. This Melchizedek, says the writer, was king of Salem, Um, priest of God Most High, he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The kings that Abraham defeated back in that story, I guess were a little uh, more like modern day Somali warlords. And uh, what they've done is that they've plundered the local towns and they've kidnapped a number of people, including uh, Abraham's own nephew, Lot, So Abraham puts his commander gear on and he goes off on something like a a boy's own adventure, chasing the bad guys all around the countryside and finally defeating them and rescuing everyone who had been captured. Now in doing that, Abraham has done a good thing. He has tackled wickedness and he has defeated it. And in the book of Genesis, we can tell for sure whenever Abraham has done a good thing, because he doesn't always do good, good things, but we can tell for sure in this case that he's done a good thing because it's always confirmed for us by a word of blessing from God, a word of blessing from the Lord. But the surprise in this case is that the word of blessing from God doesn't come direct. It comes through an intermediary. It comes through... A priest. Remember, that's what a priest is, an intermediary between God and his people. The word of blessing comes through this figure called Melchizedek. But as he hears that blessing, Abraham instantly recognizes and understands that what he's hearing is indeed the true blessing of God. And in recognition of that, he gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. In fact, it's that act of recognition that lies right at the heart of the argument here in Hebrews chapter seven. Look at verse four, for example. The writer says this, just think how great Melchizedek was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. He gave a tenth. The writer reminds us of that fact at least four times here. He gave a tenth. He gave it because he recognized in Melchizedek a priest able to pass on The very blessing of God. Now this made Melchizedek not just greater than Abraham, but greater than the priest that eventually came from Abraham's family line. So one of Abraham's great grandsons was Levi, from whom were descended the priests at the heart of the old way of doing things, the, 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 the law. And in effect, that makes Melchizedek greater than them too. It makes them greater than the Levitical priests. So this is the idea in verses 9 and 10 here. One might even say, says the writer, that Levi, who collects the tenth as a priest, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. But Jesus the writer is claiming, is a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You begin to see the the force of it now. To, To abandon Jesus would therefore be to go against Abraham. It's that serious. How could that ever be the right thing to do? If Abraham did it, so should we. To abandon Jesus, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, would be to abandon an intermediary between God and his people, able to pass on the glorious blessing that was promised to Abraham. To abandon it, it would be abandoning it, in fact, for something vastly inferior. The example of Abraham, as he pays tribute to Melchizedek, helps us to recognize and honor The one who comes in the order of Melchizedek. It helps us to hold firmly to Jesus. In other words, the example of Abraham is helping us not to compromise in the Christian life. It's it's really interesting. If we we had time to read on in in Genesis chapter 14, we'd find the very first thing that happens after Abraham has given a tenth to Melchizedek is that uh, the wicked king of Sodom comes along and offers him. A dodgy deal. Tries to get him to compromise. It's a sort of get-rich-quick scheme. But because Abraham's eyes are fixed on the blessing of God that has come through Melchizedek, he is able to say at that moment, without any hesitation at all, no, I don't want anything to do with it. And that very much fits the the kind of argument that we find in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews fix your eyes on Jesus, recognize just who he is, a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, then just like Abraham, you'll be able to say no. You won't compromise. Just look around us now. quite a number of us here tonight and think about the thousand and one ways that we're going to be tempted to compromise in the coming week. There are going to be compromises involving money, Compromises involving time and commitment and love and dedication and all those things. Compromises in marriage. The dodgy deal, like the one the king of Sodom offered Abraham. The pirated DVD. Uh, the invitation to unfaithfulness in a relationship. Thousand and one different possibilities. Those kinds of things may look superficially attractive to us in our, in our weaker moments, at least in the short term. But let's follow Abraham and fix our eyes on the greater blessing on Jesus in the order of Melchizedek and seeing how all these things then, well, look really rather puny and distasteful and unattractive held up against such great blessing. And as we do that then, to hold firmly to him. But it's not just Abraham here who's going to help us hold firmly to Jesus. It's David too, King David. We're going to turn to verses 11 to 19 now. And these are going to help us to hold firmly to Jesus. As the great high priest anticipated by David. As I was saying before, this is all about a greater high priest. Greater than the old ways of approaching God. Greater than any other way of approaching God. Someone who's going to be on our side forever. So says King David. Now you might ask at this point, where, where is Where was David mentioned? I didn't notice that as we were reading this through. We might not find his name here, but we do know that he wrote Psalm 110. And at the center of Psalm 110 are those words that are quoted there in verse 17. David wrote, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. David was looking to the future, and he said, The words of God come through him, and he said, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, and with those words, David was declaring a future change in the priesthood. He was declaring the need, as the writer says here, and you can see it in verse eleven. Verse eleven: the need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek. And by doing this, he was implying very, very strongly that the the priesthood at the time, as David was writing those words simply wasn't good enough. That's the argument here. Verse 11. If all God's plans could have been achieved through the Levitical priests, then why, says the writer, was there still another priest to come? A priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now it's worth trying to think this through about what was wrong at that time. It's worth trying to think through why David thought another priest was necessary. So, Imagine with me for a moment, David, sitting at his desk. Do they have desks in the ancient world? I don't know. Anyway, David's at his desk and he's swiveling around on his office chair and he's checking on his friends on Facebook from time to time. But he's also doing what he should do as the king, which is to meditate upon the law over and over again. And part of that would have been reading the book of Genesis, part of the law, over and over again. And perhaps he's reading about Abraham's victory over the enemies of God in Genesis chapter 14, which we've just been talking about. And that that does appeal to him because that's the kind of thing that kings should do. They should go around defeating wickedness, defeating God's enemies. And David himself would like to see much more of that. But there's a problem. You see, it's not enough just to go around destroying the enemies of God. As Abraham experienced before him, you also need a priest You also need a priest to experience God's mercy and blessing. Otherwise, you just get destruction in the end. David himself is unable to provide that blessing. As a king under the law, he is not permitted to be a priest. It's interesting, under the law, the roles of king and priest were were kept entirely separate. And kings, uh, you might know um, Saul and Uzziah, who tried to mix them up. They got into really big trouble. They were kept entirely separate. And just as David is limited as king, he can see that the priests at the time, that is the Levitical priests, were likewise severely limited. They are sinful men who come for a while and then go. They are mortal men who come for a while and then go. And they are seemingly unable to bring much in the way of blessing at all. Okay, so David's thinking about that and is... Nonetheless, thinking that, that God has promised great justice and blessing in the world. And he's reading Genesis chapter 14, and he comes to the passage about Abraham and Melchizedek, and that's, I guess it's a sort of light bulb moment for him. It's a, an aha moment. You see, here is a, another kind of priest, a different order of priests. And so, God brings David to write. Psalm 110, God will send a great kingly figure whom even David will call Lord and this king will bring about God's final victory over evil. He will be king of righteousness but he will also be king of peace and he will be king of peace because he is also, as well as a king, a priest. Here then is a priest who can translate the final victory of God into a permanent blessing for his people. Someone from outside the present order of things. Someone who's not constrained by that, not limited by that. A priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And remember, the main point in Hebrews chapter 7 is that in Jesus, we do have such a priest. He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not a priest on the basis of his ancestry at all. As the writer says here in verse 16, he's a priest on the basis of his victory over death. Meaning that he fulfills precisely the description in Psalm 110. A priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So if you live at the time when David's prophetic words in Psalm 110 come into reality in Jesus, and we do, what a wonderful time that is. But if you live at that time and abandon Jesus for the old way of doing things, just look at verse 18 here. Just look at verse 18 here. That former way of doing things was set aside because it was weak and useless. If you abandon Jesus in favor of that, then you are throwing away the better hope we have in him, through whom we can most certainly draw near to God. Now, you might not think it 's uh, such a huge temptation in our age to uh, abandon Jesus in that kind of way and to try to draw near to God through something like the Levitical priesthood, but actually, surprisingly, it is, and it has been a huge temptation throughout all of Christian history. I can think back to a couple of examples of my own experience. I think back to my own ordination as a, as a deacon. Uh, within the Church of England. And it was at a ceremony where there was so much fancy dress and so much strange ritual, it was rather like a scene from Harry Potter. And it was rather disturbingly because as the bishop was uh, processing through the congregation, people were sort of stretching out their arms, stretching out their hands, desperate that he might touch them. My ordination as presbyter a year later, it was very similar. Outside, when we came outside, there was a crowd of people. And again, they were just eager to touch, apparently to receive some sort of special blessing from those who'd been freshly ordained. As well as, I know I tend to find that slightly creepy. But it is also deeply, deeply tragic, is it not? See, those are people who have turned aside from the true blessing that can be found in Jesus alone. And they're trying to draw near to God. They're trying to find blessing through some other route. Through some entirely man-made reprisal of the Levitical priesthood. And if it's man-made reprisal of the Levitical priesthood, it's even more weak and useless. What a tragic thing to depend upon. now as uh, people who come along to Christchurch forward where we we don't wear deliberately don't wear anything that might be taken to be priestly dress because we refuse to be seen as intermediaries between God and his people as people who come along here I'm kind of hoping that 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 kind of thing is is not your cup of tea we still need to ask the hard questions here don't we how is it then that we do think that we can draw near to God I mean, how do we really think? How do we really think that we can draw near to God? Do we perhaps think that we we don't need an intermediary at all? I suppose that's the the basic condition of of someone before they become a Christian. You don't think that you need an intermediary. You think that um, if you've done certain things and been approximately decent relative to other people, then everything's going to be okay. Or perhaps I'm drawing near to God um, merely on the, uh, my association with a, with a church. Uh, is it on the basis of the regard I'm held in by my Christian peers? You know, how much they approve of what I'm doing? That is, am I actually just relying upon the fact that I've got quite a few Christian friends? Is that what it comes down to in, in the end? Or I might be thinking, "Well, I've got Christian parents. That should do. Maybe, hopefully. Or am I be saying, "Do you know how long I've been coming here?" Something like that?" In short, is our approach to God based on anything, anything, other than our dependence upon Jesus, our great high priests? Well, if so, if so, then we, all of us, all of us need to listen to God here. We need an intermediary. The very fact that Jesus was sent shows that we need an intermediary. And not just any intermediary. The one he, the Lord, has provided. We need Jesus. If you've never grasped this before, but God has begun to show you Jesus. Now is the time to grasp hold of him firmly as your intermediary. Listen and see afresh the person that we're dealing with here. Gloriously, a great high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. There's one last thing to help us firm to, Je- uh, to, to hold firmly to Jesus in, in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 through to 28. And these verses, I think, will help us to hold firmly to Jesus as the... The great high priest who is guaranteed personally by God uh, to be the one we need. Remember, this is a greater high priest, a greater intermediary. A great high priest who addresses our deepest needs in a way that the old priesthood never could. Still less any modern imitation of it. A great high priest who addresses those needs in a way that indeed nothing else can. You see, not only is Jesus declared greater by Abraham in this chapter, not only is Jesus, as the one who fulfills uh, Psalm 110, declared greater than the old priesthood by David, also through that son, God himself speaks and speaks an oath, speaks a solemn promise. Remember, this oath comes hundreds of years after the Levitical priesthood has been established in the law. So that through Psalm 110, God himself promises something better, something to come. Verse 21, he promises a different kind of priest, and he does it with an oath. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, saying to Jesus, you, you are a priest forever forever. And the writer says, and because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant for us. A better pattern of relating uh, between God and his people. So again, it's straightforward in a way, isn't it? If you abandon this priest, just think about what you're losing here. we to get much more of this uh, in the chapters to come. In the next two and a half chapters of Hebrews, we're going to be, in many ways, overwhelmed by the amazing thing that Jesus has done through his Priestly work, but even in these few verses, we can see the difference that it makes in a kind of embryonic form. Just look at these uh, final gl- final verses with me from verse uh, twenty-four onwards. See what you would losing if you were to abandon the Lord Jesus, turn away from Him, and you're you're turning away from someone who's in a permanent. Priesthood, therefore, someone who's able to save you completely forever because he's always there, permanently there as an intermediary between you and God, permanently on our side in a way that no one else has been, is, or will be. Turn away from him, and you're turning away from someone who meets your deepest needs. That's unlike any other kind of priest, that's unlike any other kind of religion. That's unlike anything. This indeed is a priest who went so far, and we'll read more of this in the chapters to come, who went so far as to offer himself. This is the priest promised by God. Jesus, the son of God, appointed by God to complete his work forever. If you have him, you have everything. If you don't, you have nothing. Now, as we finish, let me take you uh, back to where we began this evening. Where you're lost in the Sahara Deserts. Remember the one thing you desperately want to know at that time is where you can find water. Well finally, eventually, exhausted, you crawl over a sand dune and suddenly there before you is a hotel. In fact it's a very nice looking hotel. And you cry out in joy. At last. Here at last is surely some water. And because there's a hotel, maybe after the water, you know, a nice cold beer. It's gonna be great. And so you draw near expectantly. But you already know how this ends, don't you? You're crawling up the steps to the entrance, so when there's an enormous doorman. Stands squarely in your path and says, I am very sorry, sir, but you can't come in here without a tie. (laughs) No tie? No water? No Jesus? No blessing? No hope? No drawing near to God? No salvation? We must have Jesus. I guess we know that. But the point here is, Hebrews chapter 7, this Jesus. Jesus, the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Because only he is an intermediary between us and God who can pass on the blessing that keeps us like Abraham from compromise. Only he can enable us to draw near to God with any sort of confidence. Because only he Can deal with our deepest, deepest needs. None of us here tonight want to hear the words, I'm sorry, but you can't come in. I'm sorry, but you can't draw near. I'm sorry, but you can't draw near without an intermediary, without the help of a priest, without the help of a particular priest. The great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You can't draw near without Jesus. None of us wants to hear that. But the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest.
0: Amen.